Dear congregation, we read two passages of Scripture this evening. I turn you, first of all, to that Psalm 11. I wish to focus upon verse 6 as my text this evening, and with the theme, the portion of the wicked. But also, I want to consider the portion of the righteous, the portion of God's people. What is your portion this evening? It'll be exhibited, my friend, by your life, the direction in which you are headed in, the life that you live now, proves whether you have a portion with the Lord or not, whether you are a saved man, boy, girl, or woman. I say to you that salvation is by Jesus Christ and him alone. But there is a kind of Christianity that we completely reject here, and that is this sloppy, terrible Christianity that just believes that we are under the blood of Christ and we can live as we want. That is not salvation. But I'm afraid that is the kind of salvation that is preached in so many a place. And we must hear God's word this evening. May God bring us to alarm to hear his word. Psalm 11, the verse 6. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Who are these people? Well, we're told upon the wicked. Now, we know very clearly from all Scripture that all have sinned. But I say to you, when God saves a man, he brings him through that narrow gate, which is Jesus Christ. And he brings a man through that narrow gate, into a narrow life. It's a path of principal obedience. And if a man is not walking in that narrow path, he has no life. He has deceived himself. He is on a broad road to destruction. Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. We must all examine. I must examine my heart. You must examine your heart this evening. Because we have a solemn verse before us. Look, upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Now I say again, when God saves somebody, he changes them. He doesn't just change their record. We are born with a bad record and a bad heart. He wipes, as it were, the slate clean by the death of his son. Christ nails all the handwriting that was against that sinner to the cross. But the Lord implants a new spirit in that man. It's a new heart. It's a new life. It's a changed person. And that person is not marked by a life of wickedness. And we might be self-deceived. The Pharisees were wicked. They were outwardly religious, but they were wicked. They were whited sepulchres, and the church can be full of whited sepulchres. Indeed, many, I believe, 
that have gone to church will find themselves in hell. Many. One said to the Lord, Are there many that be saved? And the Lord Jesus said, Strive to enter in. For many, I say to you, shall cry and seek to enter in, but they will not. So the portion of the wicked. And then if you turn to Lamentations 3, verse 24. And the scene here is Jerusalem has been destroyed. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, weeping and lamenting over Jerusalem, sees God's destruction and devastation. And he is weeping over this place. Fields have been burnt. Houses have been burnt. The temple desecrated. The enemy has come in. And there is a humility in the heart of the prophet. He had preached to a people and he knows himself to be a sinner himself. But he rests in hope in the Lord. And the one who rests in hope in the Lord knows he has the Lord in his heart. You notice verse 24. I will read from verse 20. My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope. In verse 20 there he is reflecting upon the devastation of Jerusalem. The weeping prophet is lamenting his own sin and the sin of the people. Remember the people were saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord will not be destroyed. But now the temple of the Lord has been destroyed. The people have been carried away into a foreign land. And Jeremiah is weeping over his sin and the sins of his people. And the Lord is his strength. Notice verse 17, And thou hast removed my soul far from peace. I forgot prosperity. And I said my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. It seems there's utter devastation. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. These verses also have a messianic tone to them. We know it was the Lord Jesus that was given gall there at the cross, vinegar to drink, but he would not be inebriated by alcohol. He would suffer that unleashed wrath of Almighty God, consciously bearing the sins of his people, being forsaken for them. Well, here we have Jeremiah we know, as I said, these have a prophetic tone to them, looking ahead to the wormwood and the gall of Calvary. But here notice, Jeremiah is looking at Jerusalem. He sees the devastation of the place. And he says, this I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Jerusalem was not utterly consumed. But the Lord had smitten her. And the Lord had sent many into captivity. They were chastened of the Lord. And this is true of every one of God's people. Those whom the Lord loveth, he chastens. And they will receive his rebuke. 
They will receive his admonition. They will receive the chastening of the Lord. That's the whole context. It is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Consider it. It was the Lord's mercy that he brought such chastisement upon Jerusalem. It was a mercy that he chastened them so that they would repent of their sins, so that they would seek the Lord. Again, there are none righteous, no, not one. But the righteous would cry out after 70 years in that land of Babylon. And we know from Jeremiah, as Daniel began to pray, he said when he read of the prophet Jeremiah, that after 70 years, the Lord would hear the cry of the penitent. And the Lord did hear, and the Lord brought them back in. And the psalmist says, it was as if we dreamed a dream, but the Lord brought us back in, brought us back into the land. And that was of the Lord's mercy. They were not utterly destroyed. And here, let us think here, in the first place, these are the righteous. Jeremiah was a righteous man, trusting in the righteousness of God. But the righteous are humbled. The righteous hear the word of God, and they're humbled under the word of God. Now note, verse 23, speaking of the Lord's mercies, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We're told, aren't we, in Hebrews, the Lord is faithful. Like a faithful father, he chastens his children. Well, the Lord does this even in salvation when he saves a man. The word of God comes, as it were, like a hammer, and it smites the soul, and we're smitten to the ground, and we're convicted of our sin, and we cry out unto the Lord. As we sang there in that Psalm 130, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard my voice. It's the voice of supplication and prayer. And Jeremiah says here, it is the Lord, the Lord is my portion. I want you to notice, we're considering this evening, the theme is the portion of the righteous and the portion of the wicked. What is the portion of the righteous? Well, we read there, the Lord is my portion. My friends, there can be no greater portion than the Lord. The Lord who spans eternity past. If ever we could imagine, there is no beginning. God always was. The God who has spanned all eternity past and goes on into infinity future. We can't fathom it. That is the portion of God's people that are humbled by him, that are convicted of their sin, that are chastened, that see that they are worthless, poor sinners, deserving of God's wrath. Jeremiah is not complaining. He is saying, we deserve this. In fact, he, he warned the people of Jerusalem that God's destruction is coming. And what was his spirit? Was there gloating? No gloating. There was grieving, my friend. There were tears for the people of Jerusalem. And that ought to be the spirit of everyone who is a Christian. When a brother sins, we should weep. We should never gloat. But we should grieve. 
We should grieve, shouldn't we? We should especially grieve the church. When the church is not what she ought to be, we should grieve. We should lament. Because we have not been the witnesses that we should have been. That's the spirit of one who was born again. His inward looking at his heart. I'm sure Jeremiah would have thought. Remember, as the Lord said to him, Jeremiah, you were minister. And Jeremiah ministered for over 50 years, my friends. 50 years. And the Lord said, they will not hear you. And yet I'm sure, remember as he began his ministry, he said, I am but a youth. But the Lord said, I will put words in thy mouth. But yet I'm sure as he looked at himself, he saw himself to be but a poor preacher. He saw himself to be a poor minister of the word of God. And yet his hope is in the Lord. Because we know that the Lord would chasten his people. And the Lord is my portion. Now notice, saith my soul. It's the language of the soul. Can you see that? I would ask tonight, friend, do you realize you have a soul? You are a soul. The soul is alive to God here. Therefore will I hope in him. Jeremiah trusts in the good God. God is good. And God strikes a man down in his sin. Because God is good. God will strike a man in judgment one day. And there will be no returning to the Lord. But you see, when the Lord saves us, like he did Saul of Tarsus, Saul was struck down in his sin, wasn't he? Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now notice the Lord is good to them that wait for him. To the soul that seeketh him. It is good, verse 26, that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Now we'll come back to the portion of the righteous later on. But for this time now, I want to consider, as we turn back to Psalm 11 and the verse 6, this most solemn, this most solemn, friends, portion of the wicked and I speak here on a subject that is not easy to preach I do not make it my hobby horse my friend to preach on hell I do not make it my hobby horse but I am compelled and commanded by God to preach the whole counsel of God that is to hold nothing back but to preach solemnly his word. And I want us to now consider the portion of the wicked, and then we'll come back to the portion of the just or the righteous. It's a glorious portion, because God is infinite, and the blessings of God's people are infinitely wonderful. No eye is seen, nor ear heard the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But friend, let me tell you quite equally, no eye has seen, no ear heard, the things that await for them. We read who the Lord hates, the Lord does hate, and I must warn you of this. 
Today it's very unfashionable to say in the churches that the Lord hates anything. But that is a lie. It is a lie. The Lord says six things do I hate. One of them is a lying tongue. And he that sows discord among the brethren. But here we will read. Let's come back to Psalm 11. Verse 2. For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string. That they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. This is very true. The wicked, they shoot their arrows. The violent words. They speak out against God's people. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyelids, his eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. You see there? God hates such a person. But there is a wicked spirit. The Lord has said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Now there is no just man alive. But there is a principle God puts in one that is born of the Spirit. If you turn with me just for a moment to 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter 5, verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not unto death. And we're told later there is a sin unto death. The person that is determined to go headlong in their sin, even when they know that sin is wrong, that person is not a converted person. That person is still dead. they dead. Their conscience is dead to God to the word of God and they ignore what God's word says now we notice verse 18 we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not now many people have a problem with that verse but I would submit to you not to have a problem with it what does John mean John means this man does not live in perpetual sin sin is transgression of the law, isn't it? And if you know something to be right, and to do it, and you do it not, it is what? It is sin. The man whose life is marked by a sin that he will not deal with, he is not a saved man. He is not a saved man. He is a lost man. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God, there's the new birth, keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. The man is kept, how? It says he keepeth himself. Well, the man keeps himself in the word. And when the word speaks to him, he listens. When he is convicted of sin, what does he do? He confesses his sin. And as he confesses his sin, he knows this. 
God is faithful and just to forgive him of his sin. Why? Because Christ died for those sins. If a man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Paul says, behold, all things are become new. He's a new man with a new principle, with new desires. And he does not like sin. He hates to see sin in himself. He certainly doesn't like to see sin in others. But he hates to see it especially in himself. Whosoever is born of God sinneth not. He does not practice sin. And he's ashamed of it. The man that can sin with a high hand is an unsaved man. He's lost. And what is his portion? It's a terrible one. It's the portion with the Pharisees. My friends, they knew the word of God. Like so many. So many know the word of God. But Jesus said, Blessed are they that hear my word and keep it. Let us not be deceived, friend. The child of God is chastened. And he considers the chastening of the Lord a wonderful mercy. The Lord loveth them that he chastens. And wherever is born of God, sinneth not. There's a new desire. There's a new man. I ask you, are you a new man? Are you a new person? You see, I'm afraid there's this sloppy, sick kind of Christianity that we have no time of here, no time for. Well, if you're under the blood of Christ, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you live. It does matter. Remember what the Lord Jesus said? There in Matthew 5, accept your righteousness, exceed or excel or surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. You shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. And he's not saying you need to look to my righteousness. The scriptures say, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And that's given in context with pursue peace with all men, not just ones you like. If your enemy... What does Paul say in Romans? You repay evil with good. Isn't that what you do? Let's turn there quickly together. Let's look. I want you to see with me in the Bible. What does Paul say? How do we treat our enemies? How do we treat others that sin against us? How do we treat them? It's a good test, you know, whether you are saved or unsaved, whether you know the mercy of the Lord, how do you treat others? Verse 18, if it be possible, Romans 12, 18, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. The man that is trying to overcome evil with evil is an unsaved man. He knows nothing of the mercy of God. 
He's never been humbled. Whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Yes, sometimes the Christian doesn't forgive as he ought. And when that's true, he repents. And he asks God, forgive me, Lord. I remember my Lord's prayer as he told me how to pray. He never needed to pray it. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive others. That's the spirit of a Christian, isn't it? If we have not this spirit, my friend, the portion is a dreadful one. It's a dreadful one. Look at it, verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids try the children of men. He sees in your heart. He sees in my heart tonight. We are come under the word. And are we found as Belshazzar found wanting, weighed in the balances? We have not such a spirit. The Lord sees everything. There's nothing hidden from him. Yes, we must stand before him one day. You remember that parable? The man that could not forgive another, he was forgiven of a great debt. But he couldn't find anything in himself to forgive another man. Terrible spirit, isn't it? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Yes, that's the man that knows mercy. You don't attain it by showing mercy, but it shows that you have mercy, that you have been forgiven. But there's something else. Verse 5, the Lord trieth the righteous. That is, the righteous will be tried. The godly will be tried. They will go through trials. They'll certainly not be perfect, but they will come forth, will they not? As God. They will be perfected by and by. They will see their sin and they will cry out, Lord, help me, save me, Lord, cleanse me, create in me a new heart, Lord, every day, work in me righteousness. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked in him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Are you a violent man? A boy, a girl. Do you have harsh, bitter words? The Lord Jesus didn't. Yes, he called out sin when he needed to. But he says in his word, leave place for God to have wrath. It's not your place, it's not my place. We overjudge, don't we? When somebody does something wrong to us, we want to do ten times as worse to them. Thank God we're told to leave judgment and wrath to him. Thank God it's not left in our hands. These things the Lord will take care of. Verse 6, upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone and a horrible tempest. There shall be the portion of their cup. So firstly, the portion of the wicked. That's the unsaved man. One of the things that the Holy Spirit teaches you, my friend, Galatians 3, sorry, Galatians 5.22, is temperance, self-control. 
love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance. Temperance. Do we have self-control? The Holy Spirit teaches us to have control of our spirit. To watch our tongues, our hearts, to guard our hearts. Because the scriptures say, out of the heart flow the issues of life. We know our own hearts. We know we have to watch it. We have to watch our spirits. But we may ask tonight, why must God pour out his wrath upon such? Well, because we're told he hates sin. And we're told, verse 4, that he is in his holy temple. The Lord cannot have fellowship, my friends, with sin. We cannot have close communion with God if we are walking in sin. We can't. There's no close communion with Christ. He who would be close to Christ must be like him, more like him. Unless we know his spirit in our hearts, we cannot know communion with him. How can you pray right if you're not right with your brother? If you're not right with others? If you're not right with God? What kind of a prayer is it? You're praising yourself. I thank God I'm not like others. You don't really see what's in your heart. You see what's there? Look at the man that went home justified. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That was his prayer. That's where he began. Couldn't say much. And the Lord is in his holy temple. And he judges. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyelids behold and try the children of men. That's where the Lord is. And the portion of them that know him not, it's an awful portion. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just being honest with the text. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Why? Because they were never honest with themselves. Martin Luther said, our sins are always behind our back. Other people's sins are always before our eyes. Let us look in our own hearts, friends. Don't make a mock at sin. Proverbs 14, 9 says, fools make a mock at sin. That is, they take sin lightly, but God doesn't. God doesn't. Let us never take sin lightly. People make light of sin. Can you hear with imagination the cries of them that are in hell? When Peter writes, he speaks of those in the ancient world that passed away, who Noah preached, that preacher of righteousness, to those spirits, he said, which are now reserved in hell. They've been there for thousands of years. There is no end. No end. Their sorrows and their crying goes up forever and forever. God must punish sin. Some students at a university were asked, which is the worst of two situations? This is really how the world thinks. 
It's a good gauge, you know, when you go to universities these days and you ask students questions. Because you know what the next generation is going to think. That's the rising generation. What's worse? A guilty person going unpunished. A guilty person going unpunished. Or an innocent person get being punished. Well, of course, you know the answer to that. 93% said what's worse is an innocent person being punished. 6.85% for the difference there. Six, just over 6% said what's worse is the guilty being unpunished. Very few. Well, it's, it, I suppose it's a bit of a senseless question, isn't it? Because really none are innocent. All are guilty. You see, we always seem to think, when we think of sin, it's merely sinning against somebody else. But all sin really is a sin against God, which he must punish. Because he's a holy God. Look, he's in his holy temple. People, my friends, they live in a world of imbalanced morals. There's no morality today. Men call evil good and good evil. The Lord saves his people, not merely to, and this is what I'm tired of, to take people to heaven, but to make them different. Think of what the Lord said, strive to enter in the narrow gate, through the narrow gate. Why? For wide, broad is the gate way, and gate and way that leads to destruction. It's a narrow, it's a broad Christianity that leads to a broad life of how you can live how you want, but my Lord Jesus said, why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do as I say? Why? You're not my Lord. I'm not your Lord. We have to ask ourselves, are we amongst the righteous? The righteous are not just them made righteous by Jesus Christ, but there is righteousness imparted in the life now. If there's not, the Christian is very troubled. And he cries out against sin. And he has a humble heart, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You know the scriptures. It's a wicked world. The Pharisees were wicked. They were religious. And there are many that are religious. But they're on the road to hell. So many know doctrines. But so few know the power of God in the heart. They're not troubled by it. Whoa. That's what happened to Jerusalem. The temple of the Lord. I could take you there to Jeremiah. The temple of the Lord, they were crying out. We have the temple. We are the people of God. But sudden and swift destruction came. But there was a remnant. And they said, you know what? We deserve this. And far worse. God's people never complain. They realize they deserve the fires of hell. And God's wrath. And that's really what makes them different. It's the spirit of God at work in them. 
So the portion of the wicked has just contemplated, I think, the fate of the damned. Something so painful to imagine. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares. And my friend, that is forever and forever. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke of that place where the worm never dies. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and forever. There is no rest for the wicked. I know some people don't like this kind of preaching, but it is faithful to the word. It's true to the word. And there is no escape. You see, we can't play at religion. Fools make a mock at sin. But hell is now laughing. And the wicked devil, he deceives many. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares and fire and brimstone and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. This is their, what is allotted to them. Why? Because they loved sin. They didn't hate it in themselves. They loved it. But not the righteous. Not those who, who see what it costs their Savior. And that's how the Christian lives. He sees this is what it took my Savior to save me. How can I live to sin any longer? How can I love it? When I see my Savior dying there on the cross, how can I speak so glibly and foolishly? And how can I be so casual about sin? How can I? God hates sin. I must hate it. But I want to close on a good note. We must close on this. It's tremendous. What is the portion of the righteous? It's a wonderful portion, friends. If you turn back there, there to Jer uh, Lamentations 3. Here is a saved man. What does he know? He knows the Lord's, first of all, mercies every day. Because he knows that mercy that is in Christ Jesus. It's a mercy God has kept me another day, spared me. It's a mercy that he's put me in the family of God. And I don't treat these mercies lightly, but I'm so thankful for them and every privilege that I have as a child of God. And I use every means of grace that he gives me now to the employment of his glory and to the good of my soul. Yes, it's the Lord's mercies that I'm not consumed. Why? Because of his compassion. You see yourself, God has been compassionate upon you. So many have gone into a lost eternity who have never heard the gospel, never heard of Christ. Well, they've known of him as a swear word. We've probably never even heard of him. I will have mercy, he said to Moses, on whom I will have mercy. And then he said, I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Do we realize that? We are vessels of mercy tonight if we're saved, and we're thankful for it. And we see that every morning God's mercies are new to us. Everything he provides for us, and we're thankful, we're content with what we have. We're not envious over others. 
We're content to serve him. What are we told in that wonderful psalm? How more blessed it is to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to be in the tents of the wicked. Why? Because verse 24, the Lord is my portion. And I will dwell with the Lord in the house of the Lord forever one day. This world will soon pass. The Lord who gave himself, the Lord of glory, the one who went to Calvary, who went to Golgotha. Now notice, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him. My friend, salvation is just that. Waiting implies prayer. Waiting implies looking to him. Waiting implies you looking to him to take vengeance on your enemies. What does David say? Let me not be as the mule. The stubborn mule. Where you, you can't get to do anything. Or the horse. The horse who wants to run off. That's not the Christian. The Christian is neither like the mule, stubborn, or the horse. Self-willed, self-determined. That's not the Christian. He waits on the Lord. And daily as he waits on the Lord, he finds the Lord is his strength. The trials of his life, you will find the Lord to be his portion in this life. Not only in this life, but in that which is to come. He knows the Lord presently in his heart, at work, in his life. That man is putting away sin. He's subduing sin by the power of Christ. Do you know Christ in you? Because unless you know the power of Christ in you, you're not in Christ. You have to know the power of Christ. When he comes, he doesn't just say, that's it. Well, I give you assurance, you're going to heaven. But you know the power of his spirit in your heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And they are merciful, they're kind, they're gracious, they have self-control, they know the power of the spirit. Look at the verses that proceed. They wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It's not just for salvation, but it's in everything, my friend. It's a wonderful thing, you know, you can go to God in prayer every day. Whatever trial you have, he's there. James says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth liberally and upbraideth not. He doesn't chasten you when you ask him for wisdom, but he gives you wisdom. Now notice something else, there are several things that are good for a man. These are the men who, whose Lord is their portion. It is good for a man that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. That's the spirit of a man that has been convicted of the spirit of God. And he says, Lord, only you can save me. But it's true in life. That man is constantly being saved from every snare, every trial, every difficulty. That man is being saved from every evil way. And it's good for a man. See, that's what's good for a man. But that is not true of the wicked. He's wanting to take vengeance. That man 
He'll never know the Lord's help. He's not a humble man. Something else that's good for a man. It's good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. What yoke is that? It's the yoke which the Lord Jesus said of. His yoke. What did he say? Turn there with me quickly. Matthew 11, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. My friend, you can't take this meek, this this yoke, unless you're meek. It's a yoke. When we think of a yoke, we think of two oxen working. And there's a burden. But you can't bear the burden of the Lord unless you're meek. But we're told, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, for they shall see God. Meek. The meek shall inherit the earth, rather. It's a yoke which the Lord gives, friend, and it's good. It's good, you know, because you know the Lord's strength. My unsaved friend, let me say this. The Christian life is a hard life, but the Lord is the strength of his people. And he'll never fail them. We always fail when we walk without him. You think of two oxen plowing, but really the Lord is the strength of his people. And it's good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. When you can look back in your life as an older Christian and you say, the Lord was my help. He was my strength in the days of my youth. I knew great exploits for the Lord. But when you're old, you see, you you can't do as much as you could do when you were young. Yes, you can still labor. But how good it is to be saved in a young age. You could say, the Lord has helped me hitherto. Hath the Lord helped me and shall help me all my journey through. It's a wonderful thing that a man should bear the yoke of God in his youth. The yoke of Christ. Take my yoke upon you, he said. And my burden is light. Something else. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because the Lord hath borne it upon him. That wonderful. The Christian, as Peter says, he has cast all his burdens upon him for he careth for him. Are you heavy laden? I would first ask you, are you burdened over your sin? You must bring your sin to God and cry out to him for mercy before you can ever expect him to help you through the burdens of life. And that's where you need to begin with your sin. But that's not so for the wicked. He loves his sin. He'll not be rebuked over his sin. And it's a terrible end for the wicked. They have the spirit of the world. And upon them he shall rain snares and fire and brimstone. And that's forever. And then finally to be without God forever. Never to know any help 
and any relief in that awful place. But then, for the just, to go into God's presence, who has been your help and strength, and to see the one who suffered for you, to enter his bliss and glory as a Christian, what a glorious thing that will be. The Lord is my portion. Heaven and earth cannot contain God, but God is the portion of his people. What a blessed end. Amen.